series verse by verse. I want to thank Pastor Griselda. She was in first service for preaching both services last week. If you think Pastor Grizz did a great job, can we give it up for the Lord? Come on, she did awesome. She did awesome. Man, we love having women of God that are anointed and appointed and can be doing great things for God. I listen to both services, the entire thing. And guys, you got to pray for me, man. I got sunburned. I was suffering for Jesus and 80-degree weather. Will you guys pray for me this week as you think about me peeling and all of those things? Just, just pray for me. I had a great trip. I was in New Orleans preaching a bunch of different places. One of them was the crawfish capital of the world. I walked into the place and a young lady was wearing a cowboy hat. I said, this is neat. This is awesome. Had a good time with them. Visited my family in Florida as well. Did, a, did some fishing over there and had fun. But here's the greatest thing, man, coming home. I mean, it was cloudy and rainy yesterday and cold, but I knew I was going to get to be with you guys today. So can we just give the Lord a hand clap for a great church? This is worth it. This is worth it. Oh, and you guys may not believe this, but we have somebody who moved from the sunshine state of Florida to actually join this church and be with us. Let's give it up for Michael. Michael, raise your hand. Michael's in the house. Amen. So make him feel at home. Somebody needs to take him to, the, to uh, Borinkins and get him broken. That's the first place they took me when I was in Chicago, so I've been loving Ibaritos ever since then. Hook him up, you know what I'm saying? Hook him up. We got some Greek people. Get them the central heroes, you know. Show them how we do it here. Open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to talk today about being perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew chapter 5 is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, three chapters. And let me explain it to you just a little bit as you're looking at the notes here on our app or online on the website. What Matthew did was condense a lot of Jesus' sermons here into three chapters. We don't know if this happened in one sitting. It could have, or it could have been like many sittings, and he just combined it into one setting. Let me explain to you why they would do that. If you took all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, took all the red letters of Jesus and combined them, that means every time Jesus spoke in four Gospels, he says about the same amount of words you and I speak in one day. He was around teaching for three and a half years, lived to 30, and then started his ministry as we've learned at his baptism with John the Baptist at 30 years old and preached for three and a half years. All of his words, you can say, on average in one day, okay? So what was he talking about all that extra time? The secret stuff, and I'm going to tell you right now, aliens and all this. No, I'm kidding. No, that's, don't ever listen to people say they found the secret teachings of Jesus. No, what he was doing was like any good preacher, repeating himself over and over and over again. And so you'll see in Luke similar teachings, but a little bit different of wording. And you may think to yourself, well, is Luke and Matthew contradicting each other? No. I want you to think of the illustration from when I was growing up. They used to have these projectors that would have transparency slides, and they would reflect it onto the screen. Does anybody remember those days? Okay, so they would go there. Let's say you're in science class. They would put maybe the body there, and then on top of that, they would put your bones and then your nerves, and they would kind of like stack up and make a whole person. If they wanted to show you just the bones, they could pull out the other stuff. The idea is here, when you go 
to all the Gospels, you're getting a layered, compounded, complex understanding of Jesus' life, not contradiction. For example, as a speaker, I understand this. I tell my testimony all the time. That's one of the things I repeat over and over and over again. Well, sometimes you hear my testimony, and I never mention my father. Some of you guys might think, well, where's Joe's dad? My dad came home later, and then he, he uh, filled me with, uh, prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Ghost at my uh, living room couch, okay? So my mother was at the kitchen table. My dad was there when he came home from work and prayed with me in the living room. Well, if you never hear me talk about my dad, and then you hear from somebody else saying, did you hear a testimony about Joe? I mean, he got set free and delivered at the couch. You're going to say, hold on. He got saved at the kitchen table by his mother. Yeah, but his dad delivered him at the couch. He got saved at the kitchen table, but he got delivered at the couch. You know, you can see some type of a fight going there. And that's the type of stuff that people who try to come against the Bible will say. Well, Luke says, or Mark says, there was uh, two blind men. And then Matthew says, there was one blind man. Is there two blind men? Is there one blind man? How many know if there's two blind men, there's at least one blind man, okay? Maybe that was the one that was doing the talking that Matthew wanted to focus on. And so when we look at these scriptures right here, we can either look at it as one long teaching, and we know Jesus did this because one of the times he feeds the 5,000, he's been preaching for three days nonstop, okay? That might be a message like this. But once again, remember, I can read to you the exact Beatitudes, chapter, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which include the Beatitudes, five, six, and seven, I can read that to you in 15 minutes. What was he talking about for three days then? What he was doing was expounding on it. So even just for me trying to teach this, I was going to decide whether or not to take every single one of these points and make it a separate message or go chapter by chapter. So I felt I would just do all of chapter five today. If you scroll up to the introduction, you can see I've preached every one of the Beatitudes, eight messages, eight messages, just scroll right down, you passed it, sir. You can click on that and you can go to all of my messages on the Beatitudes. So like, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I spent a whole hour talking about that. Then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I preached 17 messages. So if you like chapter Chapters 5, 6, and 7, I already have 25 messages for you online. Can I get an amen for that? But now watch this going back to the Jesus thing. What's he doing for three days? If that's all he's doing is what we have here, and it takes, what, 30 minutes to read it. On the way here, I read, you know, listened to all the old Bible multiple times. Here's what happened. In the first service, I said, I'm going to read chapter 5 and comment on it. I didn't even get past verse uh, 26. And there's 48 verses. What was I doing? I was saying it, then I was explaining it. I was saying it, and I was explaining it. So even if these are the main teachings of Jesus, which I believe they are, it doesn't mean he just said it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and then just walked off. People were probably like, well, what does that mean to be poor in spirit? How are we poor in spirit? Is this guy poor in spirit? You know, and so that's what the days and the time would, would go by as. And so when you look at these scriptures and you read your Bible and you actually care about what's going on in history, take time to understand the, the context of this. This is Jesus's life teachings, okay? So let's go to chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. 
This is where I ended up spending about a half hour of my time. I didn't even get to the, the lessons. I stopped right here in first service, and I'll see how it goes for us here. But it says his disciples came to him. If you remember the last time I was with you in chapter 4, it says he called his disciples. And I want you to know this as a church. We love you, but our goal is to disciple you. So if you and I don't share the same goal, I want to give you three brochures for different churches you can go join right now, okay? You can go join those churches and go be a part of them. Just go do it. Don't cause an issue. You don't have to cause a fight. Just go to those three churches. Choose Belmont Assembly of God, Brooklyn Tabernacle, or Chicago Tabernacle, rather, or New Life Covenant. Just go. We bless you. Tell them Joe sent you and they owe me a lunch, okay? But if you are going to be here, we make disciples here. Now, nothing against those churches. I don't know exactly what they do there. That's none of my business, actually. But I'm just simply telling you this. Go to their churches. Go. If you don't know what I'm doing, don't want to do what we're doing here. Because Jesus made disciples. This church is built on making disciples. We are purposely growing at the pace we are growing at because we want to make disciples. I am not going to be a big I, and you're going to be a little you here. I am not going to keep wasting your time with more services and more things to do. You come hear me speak once a week. That is it. I don't have a midweek. I don't do other things other than on Facebook. This is your one time to be with me for one hour. Other than that, get your hiney out of here and start doing ministry for Jesus. Go join a life group. Go join multiple life groups. Go out there and be effective. Join a discipleship relationship one-on-one. -on -one. Get somebody in your life that's going to disciple you. That's what Jesus was about. That's what I'm about. If you're not about that, that's the door right there if you didn't know where it was at. An exit sign is there. You can go running through that door too. Now, do I want you to stay? Yes. Did Jesus want his disciples to stay? Yeah, I want you to stay. If you ask me the question, well, Joe, do you, do you want to send me off to Pastor Choco? Do you want to send me off to these pastors? No, I want you to stay here. God's given them people. God's given us people. If we've won you to the Lord or we're witnessing to you and you came to this church, over 80% uh, of you came to this church really as your first church. Most of you were baptized here saying that was the first time I've really dedicated my life to the Lord. I can see your heads nodding because it's true. So I'm not here to keep you. I'm not here to manipulate you. If you don't want to do it, go. But if you want to stay, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. Jesus, from moment one, we know in chapter four, he starts preaching repentance, gets disciples. But moment one of his teaching is, hey, who are the disciples here? Okay, Peter, James, John, you guys, come sit here and let me teach you now. Now, here's the deal. I'm not Jesus, okay? So I'm not trying to put myself in this illustration to be Jesus. I'm supposed to now take Jesus' teachings and tell them to you because I've read the last chapter of Matthew. How many have heard the last chapter of Matthew read in this church? Go into all the world and make what? Disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So if you're here right now, you've actually already started at the end. You're already in Matthew 28, Let's be honest, most of you have picked up your Bible, started coming to church because someone has already won you to the Lord or someone has already prayed for you to accept Christ and you've brought Jesus into your heart. You know, you've repented of your sins. Now, if you're here today and you haven't done that, today's a great day and so you can start learning these things. But these things, notice this, are not things for the world to change their mind about. These are things for disciples to learn so they can go out and teach the world. 
Does everybody get that? This church service is not meant first and primarily for lost people. We invite the lost here. We want you to bring your lost friends here, but you should have already preached to them before they got here. You should have already told them about Jesus before they got here. I should now be teaching the disciple that you're making. Do you guys get that? I am teaching the disciple that you're making. So you brought your friend. Hey, man, you know, I want you to come to church with me. And they're here now. That's great. But is there a story behind that? I mean, had you been talking to them at the job? Have you told them about being born again? Or are you literally just a walking billboard for our church? Come to Metro Praise. Pastor will do the work. Come to Elevate. You know, Joe B will do the work. No, you're supposed to be the one doing this now so that when your visitor comes with you, I'm speaking to somebody who wants to be a disciple of Christ. But obviously, we let people come, hear the message for the first time, and that's why at the end of every service, you're welcome to come here and accept Christ as well. That's a part of what we do. It's not the primary focus for me to continually try to convince an unbeliever to become a believer. The focus of the church is the body of Christ is to build up believers. So the idea is Jesus is talking to disciples who will, after his ministry, then go out and make disciples. And I look at Calvin right here. Calvin's a perfect example of this. Juan Riasco, Jose's brother, is led to the Lord. Jose and Juan are coming to the church. Juan begins to put on social media that he's got a great church. He invites people to. Calvin comes to the invitation. But then on their own, they begin to talk. And Jose, I mean, Juan begins to lead him to the Lord, pray for him. Or did you accept Christ at the church? Did you accept it here or in your time hanging out with Juan? With Juan, Juan teaches them how to accept Christ, repent of his sin, and then he starts doing discipleship. He then goes into the 201, and now he's one of our deacons. And guess what he's doing? I can tell you what he's not doing. What he's not doing is deacon around. He's not just calling himself a deacon and walking around the church going, hey, I'm just going to deacon around here. No, he's not deacon around. And what I mean by that is that deacons try to act like they know it all and take over stuff and vote in and out pastors. No, no, that's not what he's doing. He's working with the elders of the church, and he's working with the disciples of the church to make new disciples. So if you're here today and you're a man, because we do gender, you know, man with man and women with women. If you're a man here today and you want to be discipled, come see Calvin. Why? Because Calvin has sat not at Joe's feet and learned, but Calvin has sat at Jesus' feet and learned. I am a disciple of Jesus. I am teaching you the things of Jesus. Those books that I've written out there are about the teachings of Jesus. That's why I offer them for free. And I just met a pastor that was using our materials in New Orleans. He said, Pastor, I took your materials, used some of mine, and I've now republished them. I said, great, because I had given him permission to do that. I said, great, send it to me because I want to encourage other pastors to do this. I want you to understand, I said to pastors, you can take any of my books. I've written 20 books. Copy and paste whatever you want and republish it. All that I ask is that you put on the front page, uh, the first page here, just on the back, like where they have the copyright things, just say, in partnership with Metro Praise International Publishing, right there. They can put their name on it. They can put their ministry name on it. I don't care. And I don't even think it's copywritten. You know, uh, I mean, uh, it is copywritten, but I don't even think it's plagiarizing. You know why? Because I've given them permission to do it. Why have I given them permission to use my books, use my materials, to republish them with some of their thoughts because pastors always got something to say about something. You know. Why have I given them the permission to do that? Because God gave it to me. 
See, if somebody says, God gave it to me, now I want to charge you $12.99 to get it, that's a problem. Because the Bible says, freely you've received, now freely give. So God freely gave me those books. If I'm going to say God gave me those books, then I have to give those books away, don't I? I have to give away that information. That's not copywritten uh, to, to get uh, money out of. It's copywritten just to protect if anybody wants to change it and then say that, that that created it. But I give permission to say you can change it as long as you give the notice that it came from these materials. That's almost unheard of in Christianity today. Why? Because everybody wants the new revelation, the new thing. Let me tell you about this dream that I had. Let me tell you about this new way of thinking. Let me charge you for this conference. Let me do all of that. And you know what we're not doing in the midst of all of that is we're not making disciples. I was, this grieved my heart. I was watching one time on Facebook a video ad that came up. And it was about a pastor that had a nervous breakdown, a real famous pastor, made millions of dollars off of music as well. And, and, and an ad came up and it said, uh, you know, pastor recovers from breakdown, the secret of happiness in Jesus or something, you know. And I start watching it, you know, it's like a five-minute clip. And the guy had me, you know, like I was watching this clip. And I'm like, man, I want to know what happened to this guy. How did God do this work in his life? And then you know what popped up afterwards? Pre-order, $24.99, the message. God met me in the darkness. And I am thinking to myself, you are a spiritual fool. Jesus Christ sets you free from something that tons of people deal with. Jesus did it. And now you want to sell pre-orders to the message and little booklet that you wrote with it. And I am thinking to myself, no wonder the church is in a mess. Now, I want to stop right here and say, does that mean that Jesus personally discipled every one of those 5,000 people? No. What did he do? He had his 12, then disciple the next 12, the next 12, the next 12. If you are here and you want me to do all your discipling, you didn't come to the church of Joe Wyrostic. You came to the church of Jesus Christ. So you either let other people here disciple you or go find a pastor's teat to suckle on because I don't have enough teats to give you. Does everybody understand that? Well, if the pastor's teat isn't in my mouth, I'm not getting the milk. The Bible says get your milk from the word, and then the people will give you that word. So if Calvin gives you the milk of the word, and you need the milk of the word, we all need to start off somewhere, right? And the Bible calls the milk of the word. If God gives Calvin that milk, is it good milk? I said if Calvin got the milk, is it good milk? Is, is if Salvador, Salvador and Jessica, raise your hand, please. If God gave Salvador and Jessica the milk, is it good milk? Did you milk the cow the, from the milk you drank this morning? You trusted somebody with that milk. So what does it teach us? Disciples are taught. You know who I got taught by when I first became a Christian? I wanted my youth pastor to teach me. He was just doing whatever he was doing. Didn't even have discipleship. I ended up going to an all-night prayer meeting. I met a dude that lived in an assisted living house, nursing home. I'll never forget the smell. It's just sad, but I remember the smell of death. Has anybody ever been around nursing homes that smell? I thank God for those who have worked in them. My mother worked as a nurse's aide. My mother worked as a nurse's aide in a nursing home, and she had to go through all the disgusting things of that. But I want to tell you something. This brother spent time with me, and you know what he said? He said, meet me at my nursing home. That's what he told me. So I would go there. And when I would meet him at the nursing home, you know what would happen when I was there? Is this guy would love on me. 
this guy would spend time with me. Now, you know, in my mind, I thought, dude, I, I need somebody different than him. You know, I need the most radical preacher. I need somebody that was young and on fire just like me. I was like, you know, always trying to be a cool kid. And God said, no, that's the one that you need. And I was saying to God, God, why is it I need that one? And God said, because that's the one that actually loves you. You see, when you come to a church and you put demands on it and you put unbiblical standards on it, you're not going to get what God wants you to have. You need to get in a church that's going to love you and take care of you and do the right thing for you, even though sometimes you may not feel like that's what you need. And you see, I was willing to be discipled by pretty much a senior citizen. He actually wasn't. The reason why he lived in assisted living is because he was disabled. And the insurance was that's all they could afford. So you live in a nursing home. But I want to tell you what, I learned so much about Jesus from him. One of the times I was uh, dealing with drug addiction, uh, you know, I always did drugs for party's sake and all that. But at some point, I began to do drugs because I couldn't sleep anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't have peace unless I was high. And so as I became a Christian, I began to have withdrawals. And it was a weird feeling to want something like that. Like it just, I never had felt that before, maybe because I was too high to realize I was addicted. But I had like this urge to take this stuff to make me feel better. And then I began to shake a little bit, and my body's nerves just weren't acting right. You know, I've only been saved maybe, I don't know, 60 days, 90 days. And I remember going to this brother, and I said, man, I'm so afraid. I feel like I, feel like I can't make it. Darkness is all around me. I, I don't know what to do. And you know what? He brought me to a scripture. And it's something when somebody brings you to a scripture that you've never heard before, and it's the answer to your problems. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You hear a scripture that you've never heard before, or a scripture you've heard before but never seen it in that light. And this brother said to me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, or self-discipline as some translations say. And I want to tell you guys something. Over 20 years, that scripture has never lost its power. Anytime I face something that's fearful or I feel like darkness is all around, I go back to that scripture that Donald taught me and I go, it worked then, Jesus. I'm coming again to make a withdrawal from that scripture. Lord, I know you have it for me now. Bring that power again, Jesus. And the power of the scripture never, never diminishes. And so this is it, man. I'm setting it up, and I know I take a long time on these introductions, but we'll be in five, six, and seven for a little bit. So at least now I've set up the next few weeks of lessons. Can we hear what Jesus is saying? And somebody might say, well, I'm only going to listen to Jesus. Who's writing down Jesus' teachings? See, you're already being discipled by one of his disciples and didn't even know it, right? Jesus sat down. His disciples came to him. And this is what he said. The Beatitudes is a Latin word for the blissful attitudes of Christianity. So I just gave you like the long phrase of what Beatitudes means there in the notes. I'll read them all together and then we'll go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst, are hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the 
pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For in the same way, rather, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Eight Beatitudes, eight lessons for a blissful attitude. You say, blissful, where do you get that from? Literally, blessed and blissed mean basically the same thing. So sometimes we always say, God bless you. We need to say, may God bliss you. Get blissed, get blessed. It's actually very similar. It's really only one letter, and I know one letter can change words around. I totally understand that, okay? But what I'm saying is blissed. And blessed are very similar. You know what's another word that's very similar to blissed and blessed? Happy. Happy are people who are like this. Remember, happiness in the Christian faith is not based on happenstance. Happiness is based on the Spirit of God. God is teaching us through Jesus Christ the Son all the things that we need as an attitude to live in the blissfulness of God. Let's go each one and see how far we get. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You cannot get the kingdom of heaven unless you admit you're broke. How does that work? It starts by you saying, God, you're awesome, I'm not. God, you're rich, God, I'm poor. God, you're wise, I'm foolish. God, you're, you're, you're powerful, God, I'm weak. Now hear this. It was the Pharisees and religious people who said, I don't need that. I'm okay. And this may sound crazy, but it's actually the truest thing. God doesn't save saints. He only saves sinners. God doesn't save the righteous. He only saves the wretched. I become righteous after I am saved. I become a saint after I'm saved. But I cannot come to Christ in my righteousness. I cannot come to Christ in my bank account. I can't come to Jesus and say, you know, well, God, I can throw in 50. I can throw in 100. God, I can put a couple uh, Hail Marys on this. Does that count? No, God says salvation is all of me or you don't get it at all. And so the poor in spirit get it. That's why oftentimes I meet people all the time and they say this to me. You know, don't you church people, that's good for you because you guys needed it. You guys are crazy. And sometimes I agree with them, you know, because I'll hear testimonies, even like the ones here in the church. Like somebody's like, man, I was about ready to commit suicide. I was doing drugs. The other one's like, I was shooting up heroin. I was arrested in jail. And the next one, I used to beat people up. And it's like, thank God you guys are saved. Yes, Lord. Welcome to Metro Praise, where if you haven't done time or if you haven't been messed up, you're not a just, no, I'm kidding, but you're not as real as the rest. No, but it kind of like feels like that. And then there's like somebody over here going, well, uh, sorry, guys, I never shot up heroin, never been to jail. And uh, uh, what about me? Well, that's Jesus breaking that me down. Jesus is saying, yes. These guys recognize their poverty easier. You recognize your spiritual poverty easier when you're in jail. You recognize it easier when you've lost your family because you've been a drunkard. You, you, you have the potential to look at your spiritual bank account and go, I'm poor. 
I look at my bank account, and when I looked at my bank account at 18 years old, I'm like, I am poor. I don't have anything to offer God. But here's the deal. Watch this, everybody. Watch this. Nor does the goody two-shoes have anything to offer God. Because God is not looking at your good works the way you do. You see, you look at your good works in the best possible light and go, you know, I do this and I do that and I do this. But see, God goes back a step further than the way you look at yourself, especially when you're not a Christian. God sees what you did for why you did it. Because when you gave away that money, you were doing it so people would know you're charitable. When you were taking care of your family, it was so that the people around you could know you're a good dad. When you were staying out of trouble, it was so that people wouldn't put you in jail because you like your freedom more than jail. That's why you're not there. It was really never about God. It was about you doing all those things. And what does God call that? Selfishness and pride. That's why a lot of who God is rebuking in there is not people like me. God is not spending time with a lot of drug dealers and crazy people. You'll see the prostitute get saved. You'll see the adulterous woman get saved. But who is he mostly spending time with? The Jewish leaders. And what is he trying to convince them of the entire time? You're broke. You poe. Nicodemus, you spiritually poe. You poe. You're not just poor. You poe. You know? Come on, I'm being hood now. Y'all ain't ready for that. I was in New Orleans. Y'all ain't ready for that now. I got to go back there and preach like this. But you poor, Nicodemus, you are poor. Man, look at you. He's trying to tell them they're poor. But what do they keep going? They keep going, oh, no, 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 look at me. I, he met a rich man. The Bible says he was a rich man, but he was poor spiritually, right? He meets the rich man, and the rich man goes, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Uh, and Jesus goes, keep the commands. And he goes, all of them I've done. And Jesus goes, yeah, you've been pretty good at those, but let me go to the one that you're really not good at. Uh, your money, you're pretty greedy. So sell everything you have and give it to the poor. See, what did Jesus show the rich man? He was broke spiritually because he thought he was doing great following all these commands. I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't uh, take the name of the Lord in vain. I don't do any of these things. But God was looking at his heart going, yeah, but you're an idolater of yourself and your money. So show your spirituality now. And then showed he was broke. And so what God is saying to us is, I always save the broke people. As a matter of fact, I only save broke people. And I like to say it like this. He takes those who are poe and makes them poe no more. Amen. <laughs> Lydia just shook her head and was like, oh, Dios mio, what's wrong with my pastor? I know. It's like, believe it or not, I'm getting a doctorate degree, and that's my joke for today. I'll make you poe no more. But it makes sense. It makes sense. Like, God changes your spiritual state, and God changes it alone. So what do I teach my children? Because I certainly don't want my children to start selling crack, doing tricks, and then working at the strip joint, and then finally say, I know I'm broke, I need Jesus. No, I want them to recognize their brokenness now. I want them to recognize that now so they don't have to go try to bank on their spirituality in the wrong places and find out the hard way they're broke, okay? So we don't need to go down that road of spiritual poverty very long to recognize it. How do I show it in my children? All the parents listen here. How do I show that my, my children are spiritually broke? When they break a command, I show them. I say, see, you don't have any currency to buy your salvation with God. 
You can't buy salvation with God because that sin you just committed, that one sin just emptied out your account. All the good things you thought you did before that, your account went right back to zero. How long do you think you can live without sinning? Not very long, so I show them. But God will save you based on you doing a bunch of good things. No, based on you saying, I can't even fix myself, I'm poor. And then the Bible says it's the exact opposite of what you were before. Instead of being poor, now you have the kingdom of heaven, which is the greatest riches in the whole world. Amen. That's only one of many verses I have to go to today. You guys having fun? I don't know how we're going to get through it. This might be a place where we camp for a few months. Okay. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Two times of types of crying that, that the Bible says he will reward you for with comfort. I know it sounds weird. I'm being rewarded with comfort. But really, if you have ever been sorrowful and never felt comfort, comfort is a blessing. It's a reward from the Lord. How do you, re, how do you receive comfort in your mourning? You weep over your sin and ask God to forgive you, or when people hurt you, you weep over your hurts and you trust God with it. There is a very similar kind of tear, a cry, one of despair, that people will cry and say, well, God never comforted me. God never changed me. What's wrong with your God? You said if I cried, Jesus, I would be comforted. What's the problem? It's a slight difference, but it makes, makes, all, the, uh, makes all the difference. It's a slight detail, but it makes all the difference. When you're crying because you're hurt or you're crying because you're sinning, are you crying because you know that God can heal and to help and you got to let it out? Or are you crying because you are quitting on God? You're turning your back. You don't believe he's caring for you. You feel you're all alone. Those, the, the, the difference makes, all, those two details make all the difference. If you are doubting God in your tears, and if you're saying, man, I don't even know if he's here, those tears, I'm sorry to tell you this, listen to me, I'm, I want everybody to hear this, will not be comforting. I know I wish I could say to you that every tear you cry, you'll be comforted with, but that is not true. There are many people who are crying right now that are not being comforted. And you might think that's mean of God to not comfort them. Just go, go and comfort them, God. Just go. Just go and they're crying. Go and comfort them. But God is coming to the heart. And so some of you have seen these memes where it's like, you know, God has this big teddy bear behind him, like Jesus, you know, the typical Jesus meme, blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, handsome Jesus. Uh, so he's there. And he's got like the teddy bear, and the girl is crying as she's looking at like uh, a. a a dead flower or something. But what he's doing is he has a handout like this that's basically saying, give me the dead flower and I'll give you the teddy bear. Has anybody seen something like that? If you haven't, make one and put it up on Facebook or find it for us. But it's a very simple illustration. You're crying. You're hurt. God understands it. Trust me, he understands it and, and, and wants you to be healed. I'm not saying he's sitting back laughing at you. He wants you to be healed, but he will not do it by violating your will. Because think about this. If he took away the pain that you're feeling, but you didn't want what caused you pain to be taken away, then he would be violating your will. See, you would be saying, God, take away my pain, take away my pain. But God knows pain doesn't come from out of nowhere. Pain comes from actually a source. And so God is saying, the only way I can take the pain is if I take the source. And if you're saying, oh, I want to keep the thing, but just take away the tears, God's going, no, no, no. If you're crying over the dead flower, give me the flower. If you're crying over your mother being gone out of your life or your father or you're crying because you, you, know, you don't feel significant in life or you've lost people, God is saying, give it to me. Give it to me. Trust me. Put it in my hands. And then I give you the comfort. 
Those are the tears that get comforted. How many of you have cried tears and Jesus has comforted you? Amen. Just come to Jesus with your tears. Start there. He'll, he'll teach you the rest. The Bible says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek people are not weak people. The meek are humble and strong. I am meek with my children. I could throw them across the room, but I teach them in humility. I let them sometimes even spit up on me. You know, that's being meek. That's being humble. Have you ever watched a, an adult hold a child and they get a slap across the face? You know, the child didn't really mean it. I'm not talking about the ones who mean it. Those probably need a spanking or something. But I'm talking like you're holding like a toddler and they're just flapping their arms around and doosh, you get hit right in the face. Well, it's the meekness of a parent. Of course, we think it's crazy if somebody punches a child. They'll go to jail for that. But just think about the meekness of a parent. The meekness of a parent says, I know better than you in this situation, and I know how to handle it, though you don't. You're spitting up because you don't know how to handle your food. You're slapping me because you don't know how to handle yourself. What did Jesus say from the cross? Father, forgive them for what? They know not what they do. See, he could have destroyed the whole earth, but he's literally going, you, you don't know what you're doing. I do believe in self-defense, and we'll talk about that when we get to the turn the other cheek stuff. But this is literally telling us that meek people, the ones that everybody looks at, kind of like the nerd or the Christian that gets pushed to the corner, this person is actually going to rule the earth. This is sedition. This is what they put over Jesus' head when he was crucified. King of what? King of the Jews. Why? Because he talked like this. See, Jesus didn't just believe that everybody was going to be a disembodied Casper the ghost spirit that went and lived in heaven. Jesus actually believed that his kingdom was going to come to earth. He was going to break necks. There was going to be a large battle, and all the victor, uh, all the spoils were going to go to the victor. And he's telling his disciples, he's going, be meek. Let them think they have control now. Let Caesar think he's in control now. Let Pilate think he's in control now. But guess what? The meek, they're getting the earth. That's why when I tell you Bill Gates will be able to fix the Wi-Fi in the kingdom of heaven, when I get there, he'll be my Wi-Fi guy, and I'll get his mansion, and I'll say, Bill, I'll let you stay in the guest house. Y'all think I'm crazy. That's my Jesus talking. See, we inherit the earth. They don't. You notice that. See, these things that we would just take for granted, well, this sweet, sensitive, soft Jesus. He just said something right there. I can get him killed in the Roman Empire. Remember, that's why Peter sliced off an ear, and then Jesus said, no, 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 Peter. We're not fighting like that. We're going to be meek, in other words. And he fixed the ear, and he goes, Peter, come on. If I wanted to do this thing that way, I would send a few angels here, and this place would be nothing but dust. He sent two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah, and look at what it did to it in the Bible. He said, I could send a legion. That's 5,000. 5,000 angels would lay out the whole planet. And he's saying, but I'm not doing that. That's not what I came for. I came to be meek. And now he's the king over the earth. That's why when he raises from the dead, Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, if he was God, didn't he already have it? Yes, he had it as God, but who didn't have it? Man. So now, who is our king? The meekest among us. So you're in an upside down kingdom. The last are first in this kingdom. The servant of all, they're the greatest in the kingdom. There will be great people. See, some people think that because we're always last, that because we're always serving, that there's nobody actually going to be great. No, but the Bible says there will be rulers. There will be great people in the kingdom, but they're not going to get there, get there by doing things the way of the world. They're going to get there by their meekness. 
The next thing that it says is, blessed are those who are hungry and th- hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And if you have children in the back, can you please get them to help our children's workers? Because they get upset with me if, if I preach for three hours and they're back there the whole time. And thank you, my brother. Anybody else, please go back there. Join us back in the service. This is my way of saying, okay, can I preach at least for three hours, but they get the kids at 1145 or whatever, 1240? Yes. Okay, you can do that, pastor. So I'm a man under authority. Don't want to make the mamas mad, right? But this is so rich, man. I'm going to have to just stop after a few. Of the, let me just stop at the Beatitudes. I won't even, I, with them, I got to murder. I can't even get to the murder portion here. So let me just stop at the Beatitudes with you guys. I'm going to try to remember where I'm at in each service. And if you happen to go to it, you swap a service, and next week you're at the first, just go along with it, okay? Because you'll probably hear some stuff you are. Oh, no, if they came to this service, they would hear stuff they've already heard. You get my point. If a first service person came here next week, they would hear me going over stuff they had heard last week. Okay. And if you go to first service, I'm going to be skipping over some stuff. So either way, get the online stuff, podcasts, all those goodies. But watch this. I talked about this last time I was with you guys, that if I eat all the junk food in the world and I come home and then my mom, and she actually did this. She made my favorite meal when I was there in Florida. Aren't moms the best? She made lasagna and I ate it the first day and I ate it the second day. How many love leftovers? It's especially like with pasta and good spicy type food. It like it soaks in there like the next day, the next day, the next day. I was eating lasagna like every day for breakfast even. Not this time, but I've had it for breakfast before. So if you're full, you can't eat even what you like. So here's the idea. Get this, everybody. Jesus is not saying, okay, I'm the determinative factor on whether or not you're going to be righteous. No, because once again, he knows that uh, he could change you, make you righteous right now, but what would he have to do in the process? Take away your free will. So who does he make the determiner of whether or not a person is righteous? The individual. So he's looking at you going, hunger and thirst for righteousness and you'll be filled because you get as much of it as you want. If I eat all the junk food in the world and I come home and I don't have any room for my mom's lasagna, whose fault is that? That's my fault. That is my fault. And then if I eat all the lasagna I want and I'm stuffed, then guess what? I'm not going to want junk food anymore. So guess what? It's up to you. How much righteousness do you want in what you look at online? Hunger for it. Hunger for righteousness on your computer usage. How much righteousness do you want in how you treat your neighbor? Hunger for it, and God will give it to you. It's like this. Whatever you hunger for, you will pursue. Your appetite, your desire will lead you. So if you don't like the kind of life you're living right now morally, it's the result of what your appetite is. It's what you're craving. And so the Bible says he'll change your desires at being born again. And you'll hunger for these things, just like a child hungers for milk. The next thing the Bible says is that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, if you notice, at the very start, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then all these things start to come about. We get to eight, and it says pure in heart. We have now reached the impossibility of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, how in the world do I become pure? Can you wash yourself clean if you have tar on your hands? Can you give yourself a blood transfusion if you have AIDS? Can you do a heart transplant on yourself? Could you fix a, can a broken computer fix itself? You know, all of these examples. And so what it's saying is here, this is impossible. That's why I labeled today's sermon, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, because that's how chapter five ends. And remember, chapters and verses came later as scholars wanted to make it easy for us to go through the scripture. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, basically saying, there is no other way to do this except by perfection. But now, take chapter five as a sandwich. It starts off by saying, blessed are those who are pure in spirit, 
That's the first bun. And then the bottom bun is be perfect. And then everything we do is in between. We watch our temper. We watch our lust. We don't get angry with people. We keep our oaths, our word. You know, we have love for our enemies. Okay, so how do we get that kind of a relationship with God? Only by being born again. When I'm born again, am I born again pure in heart or dirty in heart? Pure. So what is he teaching us here? You can't do this without me. When you're born again, are you born perfect or imperfect? Perfect. Does God give you a second life just as messed up as your first life? No. So what is he teaching here actually in the message? What he is actually teaching here is that all of these things are impossible without a relationship with me. Because let's say you were a Jewish person, that was his primary audience. If you were a Jewish person, you would have to start at your spiritual bankruptcy and end at perfection. And there's no way you can do that unless Jesus Christ changes you. Remember the conversation with the rich man. How does he become perfect? By admitting he's poor in spirit. How does he get a pure heart? Right here. By admitting his heart is dirty. Do you see how awesome these passages are? And yet when people try to take them out of context, they'll try to take bits and pieces because, you know, the golden rule is going to be in here and different things. They'll try to take it and put it into their worldview, but it doesn't work that way. You cannot take these Christian things and put them into your worldview. The only worldview they work in is if Jesus Christ is Lord and makes us born-again sons and daughters. That's the only worldview it works in because all the things we think we can do here... We actually mess up. And so once again, that's why it starts off saying being poor in spirit as the first bun, and then all of these things you're going to do, and then that's the perfect life. And so I'll end here in just a moment with a good one-liner for you guys. But before we do, I want to read these last ones out here. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Those are people who seek peace, and we're supposed to do that in our everyday life, and we're supposed to care about the peace of our family and the peace of our city and the peace of the community. The next thing that, and and by the way, isn't that what a lot of police officers are titled by? Peace officers. How many have seen that before? I've gotten confused. I'm like, are you the police or what? Because it says peace officer right there. And I'm like thinking, like, what is that? But I had never heard that before, but I was like in some county, and it actually said peace officer. So we got to pray for our police and peace officers. It's hard to say, but you get my point, so that they keep the peace. That's what we're supposed to be in our everyday life is people that keep the peace. Amen. Sometimes people say, well, they, you know, uh, let, let's leave certain neighborhoods alone so they can police themselves. That, that's, that's a dream that they want to have. But you know what? If they don't have Jesus, them trying to police themselves would be a mess. Could you imagine that? Because right now you have people saying they know the drug dealers right there, but they won't even call the police. They won't even tell anything. But they say they want to police themselves. That would be a mess. But here's the idea. Here's the true idea. We all should police ourselves. Do you get that? If I'm watching out for myself and my integrity, then I can help you, can't I? We're going to get to the judging part here. It says, don't judge lest you be judged. For the same measure you judge others by, you yourself will be judged. Why do you with a plank in your own eye try to take the speck out of your brother's eye, you hypocrite? Now watch this. Take the plank out of your own eye. Then what does it say? Then you can take the speck out of your eye, your brother's eye. So can we with plank eyes police ourselves? No. But if we have Christ's eyes, we could police ourselves. Because how many of you need a police officer following you around right now telling you not to murder every five minutes? See, you're policing yourself not to murder. But how many know that if we did that with shoplifting, most people wouldn't do it? 
They would break the rule. If they didn't have the tag on there, most people would break it. But how many know we can go back to a time in our culture, well, if we all are peacemakers, we're all making peace, I won't steal from your store. Don't steal from my store. How many know we never need to have the, uh, the security again? Come on, are you guys listening to me? Peacemaking means to make peace in all you do. So why do we need the law? And the Bible actually says the law is awesome and they carry the sword to inflict justice in the world. Why do we actually need police, peace officers? It's because people aren't making peace with themselves or with their neighbor. So be at peace with God and be at peace with your brother. Amen? And then we'll end with this last one. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. In the prior chapter four, we learned that John the Baptist got arrested and then now he's in jail and eventually he's gonna get beheaded. Do you know that I've actually had pastors preach, I've heard them preach, where they say, uh, John the Baptist lost his head and he is an example to us by being too political and we shouldn't be like John the Baptist. They actually say that. Don't be like John the Baptist and lose your head. Because you know why I know why he got arrested? Because he preached against Herod in his adulterous relationship, and that got him in trouble. And then his uh, Herod's uh, wife's daughter, so his daughter-in-law, danced and provoked, the, uh, provoked him to give, him, give her a wish. It's so hard to tell stories on the fly sometimes. There's a guy named Herod. He has a wife. She has a daughter that's not his. The wife tells the daughter to dance and turn on the man, which is perverted. Like, daughter, dance in front of your father and uh, your stepdad and turn him on. And then Herod gets turned on, and then the mother said, when he gives you a wish or, or gives you the permission to do something, ask for John the Baptist's head. How many still understand the story, though I messed it up? Okay, so John the Baptist gets beheaded because the girl's perverse and the mom is crazy. Pastors have told me that's why we don't get involved in politics. You'll lose your head. Think about how they mock our leaders. The Bible says the exact opposite. If you're involved in politics, if you're involved on your job, if you're involved in your community, get ready to be persecuted. We just had a person in this church lose a multi-million dollar deal because his partner saw some stuff on Facebook that was about the teachings that we have in the church. Somebody got offended, made a Yelp review against his business, and while the investors were making their final decision, saw that this person had got offended by what they did on their personal page, but exposed them on their business page. And the person said to them, either you cool it and accept all religions, because basically he was saying that Christianity is the only way, or we're not going to invest in your business. And this brother said, I'm not going there with you. I'm going to serve God. So let me ask you a question. Would you stand up for your, your righteousness or for your God in that situation? Because that costs, what, millions of dollars. But I was talking to him. I said, God's going to give you double for your trouble, man. Come on, somebody. If, God, if the devil's messing, God's blessing. So blessed are those who are persecuted because of being a jerk. No, because they're righteous. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I call this the double blessing passage because this is the only one of the Beatitudes that gets two blessings for one Beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. And this brother was rejoicing because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Praise God for persecution. We're doing something right. Amen. 
And I just want to say this right here. They will always twist what you say to make you look more evil than what your words are saying. First of all, we're not evil, but, you know, they'll try to make it worse than what you're saying. When Jesus said to the temple, destroy the temple, and I'll build it in three days, he was talking about his body. They were thinking he was going to actually do war against the temple. That was a false accusation against him. Jesus hung out with sinners, but they called him a drunkard and a wine-bibber, a a drunkard and a glutton. And, And you see, they always twist what you're saying. And they'll do the same thing with you in this church. When you say that homosexuality is a sin, they'll say, oh, you hate all gay people and all homosexuals? No, never said that. You know, you say abortion is a sin. Why you don't believe in a woman's right to do with her body whatever she wants? Absolutely. woman can do whatever she wants. She wants to jump off a bridge, she can do it. But the thing she's killing in her body is not her body. It's a person. It's not a thing. You get my point. But they'll always add that. They'll always make this attack against you and add this evil to it because they can't actually attack the position you have. And so the Bible says that's exactly what they did to the prophets. So don't be discouraged if you're standing up for righteousness and people are taking your words out of context and then saying all kinds of evil against you. And I'll just share this with you in closing. How many remember that we talked with uh, the sermon series before this, Matthew one, was on the prophets? Do you think that's any coincidence? Because now you're prepared to know what the prophets are like. So right here in the Bible, when he's like, man, you're like the prophets, now you can understand. And we talked about Jeremiah. Read through those times. And remember, you're not the only one to have suffered for doing something good. Can we have the band come and just stay seated for a few more moments? We'll get ready to close out. But as the band comes, would you scroll all the way to the end? I think I'm going to be on this one note here for probably about five weeks. (laughs) Can you believe I thought I was going to do it in one day? Like on my way home yesterday, I'm like, yes, I can do this all in one sermon. And then you know what? This, is, this shows you how you can deceive yourself. You know, talk about our own ability to be self-deceiving, you know, because you're always starting your diet Monday, right? Next Monday, I'm starting my diet next Monday. Next month, next paycheck, I'm saving. I'm saving 10%, 20%. I'm saving next paycheck, you know. So here's the deal. After first service, I was like, okay. If I do this and this differently, I bet you I can get through the whole thing this time. I actually got through less this time. Less. Less. So I'll be reminding you of this as we go through chapter 5. Let's see where the Lord takes us. I'm excited about the journey through this passage. How many are you excited? It keeps going, man. Jesus is awesome. Here's what we're supposed to get from this. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Be perfect. And all this stuff in between, right? Why? Why does God do it like that? Because I believe what he's showing us is that Christianity is not moral deism. And that's a phrase that's a little bit hard to understand if you don't know what deism is. But deism is the belief that there's a God, but he's not personal, and he doesn't really care much about you. But there's one thing that we all know about that God is he doesn't want you to hurt others. So the idea is... People now want to call Christianity moral deism. So it doesn't matter if you believe in Hinduism, you know, Buddhism. As long as your God makes you a better person, you're cool. What Jesus is showing us here is that Christianity is not moral deism where you do good works and then earn salvation. What Jesus is teaching us is that Christianity is spiritual perfection. Christianity is when Jesus sits back and goes, perfect, perfect, pure, holy, inherit the earth. 
Because only the perfect inherit the earth. Only the pure inherit the earth. Only the meek, right? So Jesus is telling us it's not moral deism like you're earning salvation. Christianity is spiritual perfection that you only get to receive from Jesus. So let's go to the end of Matthew real quick here in closing. When Jesus says, it is finished, what is he saying is finished? Salvation. It's perfect. I've paid the price. It's done. And so when we're born again, Jesus, I see some people, you, I know you've watched these memes or seen these memes or watched these preachers. God's working on you, and little by little, you're becoming more like Jesus. And I know it sounds spiritual. And then you'll see like this, this meme or this picture. Somebody actually made it out of a sculptor where it's like this glass sculpture coming out of clay, and they're like, and then people want to compare Christianity to like you being a caterpillar coming out to being a butterfly. But here's the thing. They never tell you that you become a butterfly. So you're constipated spiritually. You're always in and out, in and out. Where am I? Am I more clay or am I more glass? Am I a a spiritual caterpillar or am I a butterfly? Am I a Dr. Jekyll today or am I a Mr. Hyde? Am I a centaur, part man or part beast? Which one am I? Christianity does not say, now that you're born again, start working on yourself. See, some people will say, okay, I get that I don't come into Christianity by good works, but, but now that I'm in Christianity, don't, don't good works make me more of somebody? And that's the wrong gospel. This is not a do to be gospel. Do more to be more. Do more commands. Do more commands to be more of a Christian. Do more, be more. Do more, be more. Do, 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 do. See, that's what happens when you don't let Christ start you at perfection. Christianity is starting at the finish line of salvation. From this point on, it's glory to glory to glory to glory. And you may say, Pastor, what happens if we sin? There's repentance for that. But remember, if I give you a pure glass of water and there's a fly in there, you don't then say, I'm never drinking water again. And you throw the, some of you just throw the whole thing out. You'd get that example a little bit too much here. But follow me. Let's say all you're drinking water. Let's put it like this. Let's say all you're drinking water had a fly in it. That's the only water you can drink. Do you get rid of all your drinking water and, and then dehydrate? No, no. What do you do? You purify the water you have. You purify the water you have. Is everybody getting that? What happens in Christianity? What is your default? Pure. What happens when you sin? You get the junk out and remain pure. That's your default. So what you don't do is say, well, I'm going to keep having junk in here. I'm going to keep putting flies in here. I'm going to keep putting mud in here so my filter system can keep working. No, Jesus and forgiveness is not some cheap filter system so you can get away with everything you want. The filter system of grace is for those who are pure in heart and want to stay pure. Do you get the difference? One is saying, I'm just going to keep sinning because God always loves sinners. The other one is saying, I'm going to stop sinning because God loves it when I live righteous. He hates the sin, loves the sinner. We get that. But when are we going to stop using that as an excuse and start being perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect? Because when we get to that, trust me, I've read it in Greek. Teleos is the word perfect. We'll get there. There is 
no way around that passage other than what you think it means when I say it to you. There's, there's just no way around that passage. He's literally saying, this is the mark. Be perfect. And he doesn't even say, like, be perfect, you know, in some lesser sense. You know, like, be good like your friend is good. No, dude. Like, there's no, there is no confusion over the standard here. Be perfect like your father is perfect. And now every excuse you had goes out the window because... I'm not going to say I'm perfect like my heavenly father's perfect, sinning all the time. But then what do we do? We go right back to the beginning. Poor in spirit people get that. See, when I admit I can't do perfect, God makes me perfect. I wish I could preach it again because y'all didn't get it. I know you're tired. You've missed an hour of sleep. But can I preach to you for my second time before my third time? Because I'm going to preach after this to our leaders. The only way you get to become perfect is if you admit you can't do perfect. I'm going to say it about five more times because I feel the Holy Spirit. I want us to get this. The only way you and I are made pure is when we admit we're not pure. The only way we're made perfect is when we admit we're bankrupt at doing perfect. It's not that we throw away the perfect standard and say, nobody's perfect, and that settles it. Now I don't have to try anymore. No, I don't try to do perfect. That's correct. But I try poverty, repentance, humility and reception of God's perfection. So if you're just going to sit here and go, well, nobody's perfect. Why is the sense of trying? Whenever God saves me, I'll be saved and then it will be a done deal. No, 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 no. It's still on you. Still on you. What are you going to do? You can't be passive. You have to make the decision. God requires perfection. I can't do it, so I must be poor in spirit. And then when we start at those Beatitudes, and we'll go through them for the next year if it takes it, because I can just feel in my spirit that some of you aren't getting it, so I just want to go for those who aren't. Just be patient. As a pastor, we get these, these things that make us tell us to repeat. I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes I think it's the Holy Spirit. You just need to get this, is that the being perfect can never come by doing perfect. It's because you were made perfect. And you're made perfect by admitting your spiritual poverty. And that's why we're happy. That's why we're blissful. That's why we're forgiving. That's why we're peacemakers. That's why in a a few verses we're going to learn to keep our word. And we're not going to lie. And we're not going to lust. And we're going to do to others as we want done to us. And we're not going to falsely judge because of what Christ did in us, and it means something. Amen? Let's give it up for Jesus. Praise God. Amen. Let's stand up. Thank you. I feel better with those last few minutes. Did that help anybody? I hope that it helped you, because I just want you to get it.